welcome to the Oyster Stew Podcast. I'm Libby Hall, Director of Communications for Oyster Consulting. In our previous podcast about strategic planning for 2023, Oyster Consulting CEO Buddy Doyle and Head of Business Development David Williams talked about challenges we are hearing from our clients, from managing the effects of industry trends and technology, all the way to succession planning. In today's Oyster Stew podcast, Buddy and Dave continue their conversation, sharing their thoughts on recruiting top talent and multi-generational wealth management clients and some risks to consider along the way. We'll pick up where Buddy and Dave left off. Well, thank you, Libby. Welcome, everybody, to Oyster Stew. I'm Buddy Doyle. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Oyster Consulting, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by our Head of Business Development, Dave Williams. So another hot topic uh, that has come up uh, lately has been about attracting talent and uh, uh, retaining your employees. Uh, And I think that there's a couple of things that go along with that, but uh, Dave, I know you've you've uh, you you spent a lot of time thinking about how we bring in the next generation of leadership uh, in in different organizations. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of where firms are focusing and what they're trying to uh, to accomplish? Yeah, buddy, absolutely. So. Many of the firms that we we talk to, the ownership, I'll just say, is up there in years. And uh, we talked a little bit about succession planning earlier, but as you are looking to attract younger individuals into your firm, and that could be in the form of part of your support staff, your your management team, your leadership team, or it could be financial advisors. That's a that's an important element of of keeping a firm as an ongoing entity. Uh, we've seen less of an attraction to our business, I think, in the last decade or so than uh, in decades before that, where it was fairly easy to adra- attract young talent in, into our business. Uh, uh, but I think that's changed a little bit. I think it's it's harder to get experienced individuals into our into our business, and we can talk a little bit about specifically around the compliance side of the business. Uh, but I would say, in general, uh, most firms aren't thinking about uh, attracting new young talent because they're so buried into the day-to-day activities of their firm. But if your your focus and your goal is to keep your firm as an ongoing entity, you need to attract younger people in, into into your business. Yeah, and I think it it is a bit of a different animal, but uh, I've always found uh, it interesting that recruiting is a business. Recruiting is a process, um, and there are people that are really, really great at it, um, and they have certain methods about going going about it. Um, I do think you have to be deliberate in your recruiting. I think when you're if you're trying to attract. Uh, younger talent into your organization, you have to ask yourself, what am I attracting them to? How do I become the kind of firm that uh, that would attract folks into, into the business? 
And uh, that's a that's an interesting question to ask yourself sometimes is what do I have to do different? It, it's 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 also a great time to uh, look at yourselves introspectively from a from a management and an ownership standpoint. To your point, buddy, is what is attractive? What is exciting about joining your firm? Have you taken a step backwards and kind of done that 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 critical look of your firm and and maybe put yourself in the in the shoes of a, a younger person who potentially can join your firm what would be the reason that person would want to join your firm what is what is the growth possibilities from a career standpoint within your firm what is kind of that that next step process because certainly everybody looks when they join a firm, they kind of know what's straight ahead of them. But everybody's always looking for that, that next career step, that next promotional step. Do you have uh, that kind of, of of vision or that kind of of transparency within your organization where that that can easily be seen by a younger person, where they know that there's uh, there's other career steps within your organization. Uh, and I also, you, you when you said recruitment, but in my mind, immediately went to financial advisors. And, uh, you know, recruiting financial advisors is also a full-time job. I've seen so many firms that want to grow by adding new financial advisors, and that, that makes perfect sense. But how are you going about with that activity? Do you have a dedicated person where the majority of that person's job is recruiting. It is recruiting is not a part-time job, especially if you're a smaller organization that cannot compete with some of the financial incentives that larger organizations uh, throw at uh, potential recruits out there. And that's uh, and that just puts into play how important it is if you don't have those those financial dollars to recruit what is going to attract a financial advisor to your firm if those those financial incentives aren't aren't there compared to some of the larger firms out there there has to be a cultural reason why an advisor wants to join your firm uh, that that transcends the dollar aspect of it yeah, I think so. Otherwise, your recruiting is temporary, right? I think uh, we all have seen the folks out there and know folks that go from check to check to check with forgivable loans and let it expire and then they're off to the next place. But I do think you need to have a good cultural reason for people to join you, especially if you want to get the next generation of talent into your organization. It does seem like folks are driven by different uh things that, that aren't 100% financial. And well, some are, some, some people will make a 100% decision on financials. Um, you've got to figure out who you want, how you want to bring them in, and how you want to make them happy and keep them. So. Yeah, and I think um, there's certainly an element that, that, that the financial consideration for the financial advisor is, is, is very important. But we're seeing much many more advisors now looking at what their last career step might look at look like and the financial part of it is not necessarily at the top of the list 
this whole concept of independence, which can mean many, many different things, I think is really what is getting the attention of a lot of financial advisors out there. There's a lot of different uh, alternatives, a lot of different business models where uh, instead of the firm being promoted with uh, the business, the financial advisor is hanging his shingle or her shingle out in front. And that's a very, very important consideration because that equals ownership of their respective practice uh, as, they, as, they, as they go forward. And that opens more opportunity, right? Because you get uh, folks owning their own practice and then they have to think about their succession planning as well and what that looks like, not just joining your organization, but what it looks like when they're ready to grab the brass ring and and, uh, retire, uh, if they ever get to that, and not everyone will. Uh, but I think that that is a it, it opens up a different kind of conversation about recruiting, which is recruiting in bulk through acquisitions, uh, which is another thing to consider out there. And and when margins are compressed and and fees are compressed, um, scale matters more. And there are you know sometimes you're looking at your organization and your growth uh goals and it's hard to do that pulling in one person at a time from a recruiting standpoint there's a lot of different ways that uh firms uh look to attract new financial advisors some firms use outside recruiting organizations there's many of those out there they can be a little pricey sometimes Uh, usually you're competing with other larger firms who have potentially bigger checks than you have to me recruiting is a little bit of hand-to-hand combat and if you're overseeing recruiting in your firm and it's a big portion of what you do at that firm You should be thinking about knowing every financial advisor that you want to you want to do business with. So if you're in a city, you should be thinking about who are the financial advisors that I want to get to know? How do I how do I meet them? How do I interact with them? Chances are they're probably happy where they are. But you're waiting for that event in their lives. And and we all know events always are occurring where that first phone call they make is to you because you've built up a relationship with them. They've gotten to know you. They've gotten to know your firm a little bit. They might have been happy last year, but this year they're not quite as happy. You've already established that relationship with them. So you're you're already a lead candidate from a, from a recruiting standpoint. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of breakfasts. There's a, a lot of lunches and dinners. There's a lot of meetings to, to, to build up those relationships. But I can't think of a better way from a recruiting standpoint is to interact with those advisors out there that you want to do business with or have joined your firm. Yeah, and I think understanding how they like to interact is really important as well, right, to make sure that they're – you're pulling in the kinds of folks that you can support and, and help. And uh, I do think it is a long-term strategy of recruiting. The best recruiters I've seen 
uh, do it exactly the way you described, Dave, and that um, it, it is an ongoing process of continuously reaching out in, in the way that that matters to the recruit. Um, so it is definitely it is absolutely a process is a good word to describe it, buddy. It is a process. And it takes a fair amount of time, and there's a lot of dil diligence required to keep in touch with those individuals that you, in the future, want to uh, have join your firm. It's just, uh, it's 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 a fair amount of work. It's 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 tough work. Yeah, especially if you're trying to get the best ones, uh, because right. Dave, I agree with you 100%. It is really hard to get a successful uh advisor to to move because they're successful um so why would i change uh, so i think those are all things that uh that are really important to consider and be circumspect about your about your message um and ask yourself if i was sitting in that other person's chair i think we all have our perspective on on things it's hard to get the other person's perspective uh, on it on a topic but you need somebody around you that can share that um, and then i think the other thing is you know again talking not just about the next generation of talent in your firm but the next generation of clients um, and how you're you're focused on your client uh, acquisition strategies and client growth strategies. And uh, boy, it seems like some firms have just gone into, hopefully we can retain some of these uh, clients. Um, and I think we're seeing, seeing you know, continue to see uh, population changes and consumer preference changes and things like that. But it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time for the industry because we're kind of getting through the old school broker dealer ways of doing things that were the way we did it when I joined uh, the business in, in the 80s. And, you know, when I came in, everybody talked to dad, right? And the broker talked to dad about the money and mom might be there or whatever, but they were always talking to dad. Uh, well, mom outlives dad uh, is, is generally the way the math works. Um, so how do you keep those assets? How do you keep the children's assets? How do you create these multi-generational relationships to grow your business if you want to? I think that's another thing to think through. Yeah, obviously the, the assets are, are, are with the older generation and the younger generation is, 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 is growing their net worth. Uh, not nearly as uh, as large as uh, the, the parents, but it's still as important to build that relationship with those those younger family members because when your clients pass on, you don't want those assets leaving you. And there's so many different alternatives that are attracting younger investors nowadays, mostly digital types of 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 methodologies uh, some of which are not really investing it is uh there you could probably call them gambling gambling closer to investing and uh that seems exciting to a younger investor but uh, those of us that have been in the business many many decades know that that is not a very good long-term strategy 
because it'll eventually come crashing down. And it's just, you got to separate those exciting types of, of ways to the younger investors get attracted to, to really what long-term investing is. Yeah, I think it is a uh, an important process that you've got to go through with, with younger investors from speculating to investing and what's the difference between those those two things and uh, and then really can you can you keep them can you attract them can they look on their phone and see what their account looks like um, if they can't they're probably not going to be as excited um, so I think that is something to look at and you know there is a whole way people are doing business again that you've got to also watch from a risk perspective of who's out there talking on reddit about what uh, what stocks and what's that causing to happen at your organization um, is going to be really important for you to be able to keep your eye on 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 how things are changing and consumer preferences have definitely moved and they continue to move. So. You know, it's hard to change your your business process to become a digital provider of services to your clients uh, without talking about cybersecurity, and and not just with your clients, but with your employees as well. As we've seen, uh, there's a lot more people working out of their homes than than there used to be. Um, you know, some firms have gone hybrid. Some firms are are 100 in the office. But I think by and large, we've seen a much larger population working remotely. And that gets into cybersecurity and and the seriousness of uh, the impact that you can have from a cybersecurity perspective. If you've if you've never been through a breach before, um, it's an interesting exercise to go through and one that you know you need to be prepared. Uh, to go through. But Dave, have, have you heard any uh, firms talking about sort of cybersecurity and sort of some of the, there's a reputational risk that obviously goes with that. If you think about Target and all that stuff from, from years gone by, but uh, what are firms doing there? You know, it's not only uh, cybersecurity within your your business and your organization, which is certainly paramount in importance, but which where you're also at risk is the cybersecurity of your clients. Uh, probably million millions of times a day, uh, bad individuals are trying to hack into your clients' email accounts, and a lot of clients interact with their firms via email. And we've all seen those incidences where. Uh, an email comes into the home office requesting a some kind of wire out of usually a fair amount of money. It could be even a small amount of money to see if they can work their way through your organization. Almost every sir- firm has policies and procedures to to prevent this from happening. But all it takes is one situation where one of your support staff does not follow that policy and procedure and wires out that money and uh, it's 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 usually gone forever. So you think about uh, policies and procedures within an organization 
critical element, but are you are you making sure that they're they're being followed uh, on, a, in a, on a periodic basis? Because it's it, all it takes is one one situation where uh, that person doesn't follow it and the money's wired out and, and yeah. it's usually a pretty big loss. It, it can be a pretty big loss. And it's one of those things where you can't train too much on this, I think. And you should work the cybersecurity and client protection into to routine conversations uh, because it is really hard. We're, we're trusting individuals by and large. Uh, and uh, when we get something, we we're pretty sure it's real because it has been real all the other times. Um, and I've even seen firms with call back procedures where it's somebody calling back that wouldn't know who was on the other end of the phone anyway. So we're going to see some reg SID. We've seen some reg SID, which is protecting your customer's identity uh, uh, enforcement actions coming. I think we're going to hear more about that because it's an electronic world now. It's a remote world. People aren't coming into the office as much to do business. And I think that uh, we've got to be prepared for that. And it is all aspects of, of cybersecurity. Back when I used to do the cybersecurity training as a consultant, you know, my first slide was always the same slide, uh, which was a guy in a criminal mask sitting in a computer and a guy with a big bone for a head, right? Bad guys and boneheads. And you have to protect against both, right? You have to not only protect against the criminal that's trying to break into your office, and if you don't think they're trying to do it, you should look at your, your firewall lock someday, um, and, because they are. So if you don't think you're being attacked, you might wanna get some more information because you probably are. Um, but then it's the people that just make the mistake, right? And and it's not ill-intentioned. Um, it's not bad things. But criminals are really, you know, good at what they do. That's how they make their living. That's that's what they're looking for. These these this code you buy on the dark web has a very high rate of return. Most portfolio managers would be envious, but it doesn't work a lot but it only has to work a little. And it feels really bad if it's you. Um, but um, there are things you can do to not only protect yourself through policies and procedures, but uh, insurance as well. Make sure you've, you've got a good understanding of what the cost of a breach is uh, in 2022. And ask yourself, have you, have you insured yourself for that cost or are you ready to self-insure? Uh, for that cost, um, because it is really important, and it's it's email phishing scams, it's direct uh, hacking attempts going on, it's it's locking down the computer so people can't install a piece of software with a piece of malicious software included in it. It's a really really big deal, and we spend a lot of time on that uh, here at Oyster. It is it is a huge risk. I almost hate talking about it. By the way, another big important piece of cybersecurity is your software development lifecycle practices and your change control in your organization. You've got to have somebody looking at how you implement new 
policies, procedures, new software, it all goes into the same bucket. Um, you need to make sure somebody's asking those risk questions as you're going through business changes. And if you're sharing your data with an outside vendor, that's your responsibility. So uh, I've seen it too many times where vendors just lose the data. It's tough. So that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And we hope you'll tune back in uh, for future podcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our experts and how Oyster can help your firm, visit our website at oysterllc.com. And if you like what you heard today, follow us on whatever platform you listen to and give us a review. Reviews make it easier for people to find us. Have a great day. Thank you.